Well, greetings to you again on this Father's Day, and I thought it'd be very fitting for us this morning to um, take a little bit of a break from where we've been. As you probably know, we've been walking through a study of Exodus chapter 20, also known as the Ten Commandments. What we do here at Centerpoint is we take sections of Scripture. Typically, we usually use books of the Bible, often New Testament books of the Bible, and we walk through those verse by verse by verse. And I just had a desire this summer to take our attention from the New Testament to the Old Testament for a little while. And so, uh, as the Lord led me, I believe, we talked from Exodus 20 of the last few months, and actually weeks, and will be for the next couple of weeks, Exodus chapter 20, which is the Ten Commandments. After that, I'm really looking forward to um, walking through the book of Daniel. And we're not going to hit the whole book, we're going to hit the first half. And my, my mind on that is that a lot of people will be going back to school, and summer will be ending, and so we'll be heading out into the world, some of us, to to live for Christ in whatever environment you're in. And what better example to do that than, than the man Daniel? And so uh, that's what we'll be doing after we talk through the Ten Commandments. But today, we're going to take a little bit of a break from that, and we're going to let our eyes go to our Father. Go to our Father. Now, not your earthly father, okay? He may or may not have been a good man. You might have a dad that, oh, you, you just look forward to calling him this afternoon. And you thank God for the man that your father is. And if that's you, boy, you are blessed. You are blessed. And I would say outside of of what God does in a life, what God does in a man, you would not have that. See, many of us, many people have fathers that honestly bad thoughts, bad memories come to mind. Father's Day maybe isn't a real positive experience for you. Regardless of of what you bring, today I don't want to talk about your earthly father. Men in the room, I'm not going to talk about you today, okay? If you came thinking, oh great, Father's Day. I know what happens on that day. The the pastor gets up front and tells me how much of a dirty worm I am. Not today, okay? Not today. Come back next week, we'll deal with that. Um, Just kidding. We're going to look to our father. And the way I want to start our time is I want to look at two Two gospel accounts. One is a story Jesus told, and the other was a story that Jesus lived. I'm going to start in Luke chapter 15. And I want us to, my my whole plan today is to look to our Heavenly Father. That's what I want us to do today. That's my goal. My goal is that when we're done here, you will leave knowing you have worshiped God and you have looked to your Heavenly Father and know how you better can worship Him. On this Father's Day. Luke chapter 15, you may know this story. This is a a set of stories that Jesus told. And probably, arguably, this is His most famous story that He ever told. The story of the prodigal son, or maybe the story of the loving father. I'm not going to go through and and talk about every verse in this passage. I just want to tell you the story in, in a lot of the same way that Jesus did. You'll see that it starts in verse number 11 of chapter 15. And Jesus tells a story and says, there was a man who had two sons. Two sons. In a culture that fathers longed for sons, much like they do now, longed for sons and daughters. But this man was blessed with two sons. He was a wealthy man. He was a man of means. His boys grew up probably like any other boys did. You know, they had good times and they had bad times. And at one time, it would look like one son was doing really well and the other would be struggling and they would pray for him. 
They'd gather together, he and his wife, and they'd pray for their children, as parents often do. As they watch things that are happening and going and, and, and moving forward in their son's lives, their heart was just wrenched at times. And then one day it was wrenched with the greatest strength. Verse number 12, the younger of his two sons came to his father and he said, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And that's all that Jesus told us that he said. But in that statement was a great deal of truth. This young boy is asking his father to take what would be his at his father's death and to give it to him. This was the essence of insubordination. This was rebellion against his father. He's saying to his father, I wish you would die. What are you waiting on, old man? I want what you have for me. Let me have it now so I can go spend it. Now, I don't quite understand what this dad was thinking. Jesus told this story. Actually, Jesus made this story up on the spot so we can learn about our father. What this father did is he granted his request. He said, okay, son, I'll do it. And so he very likely liquidated much of his property, okay, as many people were in that time. He was probably currency poor but land rich. And so he had to liquidate his property and give his son this money. And look what his son does. It describes it in the next about five or six verses. He goes out and he lives, it says, he squandered his property in reckless living. Verse number 13. This is a, this is a power-packed phrase that means dissipation, debauchery. This is likely sexual sin. This boy goes out and just wastes his father's money. And he stays there for some time. He stays long enough that he runs out and he gets hungry. And he's desperately looking for work. And he finds it. The most menial of all jobs he could ever find. A job that was below his social status. Below what he believed about himself. He's doing. And in verse number 17 it says this. He came to himself, the boy did, as he's laying there longing to feed, to eat the, the food that he's feeding to the pigs, he comes to his senses, another translation says in verse number 17, he comes to himself and he says, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. So he comes up with a plan. Verse number 18, I will rise and I will go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants, one of your slaves. This is his plan. So he starts down the road back to his father. Listen, he'd been humbled, he'd been broken by his own sin. He had eaten all the world had to offer, figuratively and literally. He had consumed everything that was available from the world. And it did not deliver. It only crushed him. It broke him as the world does. Because this world is opposed to God. If there's anything you should be seeing as we walk through the Ten Commandments together, 
You should see that the world is opposed to God, His Son, and His ways. And this young man experienced it firsthand, live and real time in his life. And now he starts on that trek back to his dad. Back to the the place where he was probably born and raised. And now the father... Jesus telling us this story to help us to learn about our Heavenly Father. Now all the lights come upon the Father. And He becomes the main actor in our story. As the boy arose, as the boy is is heading out, that is, he arose and came to his Father. Feel this story, you guys. Feel it. Jesus wanted us to feel this. Don't remember what is said so much. Remember what you're feeling right now as you think about this boy coming back. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And this is a word that is is very physical. It is a very physical word. It's the word for your guts, for your intestines. The father's been longing for his son to return and he sees him from a distance and his very gut is moved with compassion for his boy that's coming home. He's coming home. And the father now runs. He jumps off the porch and runs down the road toward his son returning and embraces him and kisses him. And the son now, he's ready with this moment. He's been preparing for this moment for days as he walked towards his father. He knows what he's going to say, right? He doesn't even get it out. Listen. He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And dad cuts him off. Cuts him off. The father now stops him. Says to his servants, bring quickly the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand. And shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead. And is alive again. Oh. He was lost. And is found. And they began to celebrate. Now when Jesus told parallel stories, right in the same chapter, he added this one little, one little tidbit in verse number 7 of chapter 15. It certainly applies here as well. He says, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. It is our Father's heart of compassion that we need to see today and need to celebrate. I don't know where you are with your walk with Christ today. I don't know where you are. I'm sure there are people here who you're not even in a relationship with Christ yet. There are others here that you've been walking with the Lord for some time. Maybe there's some here that have drifted away and you are that prodigal son. You are that prodigal daughter. I want to invite you back. I want to be a voice from the Lord in your ear now. Your compassionate Father, the One who made you, the One who died for sinners, is longing for you to return. He's not going to smack you. 
He's not going to harm you. He's not going to hurt you. He wants to bring you back into His arms and celebrate that you have returned. Now listen, when Jesus wanted to tell a story, to talk about His Father, to talk about the Heavenly Father, that He had spent all of eternity with, this is the one He told. This is the one He told. How fitting for us to look at it on Father's Day as we think about our Heavenly Father. There's one other one I want to see in the Gospel accounts. I, I, I'm going to tell you a bunch of stories today, okay? I, I like to tell stories. Go to, Matt, to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. Let me show you another one here. I want us to look to our Father. Look to our Father. This is sometime later in Jesus' life. While He's physically on the earth, before He's going to the cross. This is actually just hours before He will go to the cross. Jesus now has been, has been moving towards this time for years. Actually, for eternity. Before the foundation of the world, He had this moment in mind. And it is the night before He will go to the cross. And the burden of that moment, the burden of what is coming, the burden of the cross, the burden of the rejection of God, the wrath of God, the wrath of... This is very important for us today. The wrath of God that was intended for sinners, that was stored up by sinners... The wrath of God that you and I made deposits with in the great bank account of God where His wrath was now building up as we sinned against the Creator God. The wrath of God was being stored and He would pour it upon His Son, Jesus. On that great instrument of death, the cross. But even worse than that, the rejection of God. When God would turn from Him and Jesus Himself would say, My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me? It's an intense moment. I want you to see what our Father is like. What our Heavenly Father is like. It says that Jesus, in verse 32 and 33, He went off to pray. At the end of 33, it says He was greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to his friends that are with him, my soul was very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here with me and watch. And going a little farther, he fell to the ground. Jesus is now prone on the ground, laying there, prostrate, that is, crying out to God. He fell on the ground and he prayed that if it were possible that the hour might pass from him. And listen to his prayer. Listen to the prayer of a man in connection with his father. Abba, Father. Daddy. A term of endearment between a a child and his father. All things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. Two glimpses, two glimpses of our Father. Do you have that kind of relationship with God today? 
if you do, do you know why you have it? Has your spirit and your mind been informed as to why you have that kind of relationship? The relationship that drives an old man off a porch out to meet his son. The relationship that causes a burdened, sorrowful, troubled person, man, Jesus, able to cry out to God in a personal way and speak to God as a man does face to face. Do you have that kind of relationship? I hope so. But I want to inform it today. Okay? So now you're going to turn one place and stay there. All right? Maybe the best chapter in your whole, your whole Bible. Go there and just stay put there. Okay? Go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Phenomenal passage of Scripture. What I want us to do is I want, to, I want us to understand why it is that we can approach the throne of God boldly. Hebrews 4, chapter, chapter 4, verse 16 says... We can approach the throne room of God boldly, with confidence. Some translations say we can approach His throne. We can approach the throne room of God with freedom. Freedom. You can come to God today. The God of the universe. You can approach boldly, with confidence, with freedom today. Why? Why? Let's let our spirits be informed with why we can do that. Okay? We'll start out in Romans chapter 8. And I want to look here at verse number 1. Read what the author Paul says. He says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I want to share with you three things, three freedoms that you and I have if you're in Christ. Three freedoms that are that are beyond understanding of their weight. And they bring us to the place where we can approach God in this way. And the first one is called, the big word for what it's called, is called justification. I'll explain to you what that means. I think I have it on the screen. Yes, justification. I know it's a big word. It's a word you never use. But let me tell you what it means. Let me tell you what it means. What it does in our lives is it overcomes, it gives us freedom from the shame of sin. It, it overcomes and brings us freedom from the shame of sin. You see, man has man, sinning men and women, sinning human beings, have two problems. We have two problems, at least. Let me talk about two of many, okay? Two problems. First one is this. Our desire is not to do good. Our desire, quite honestly, is to do bad. We are born in a sinful body with a sinful heart and a sinful mind. And man is, is bent towards sin. That's our first problem. You, me, everybody in this room, we were all born bent to sin. And that bend will be there until you are with God. We are bent to sin. That's problem number one. Number two is we stand guilty before God. You and I stand guilty before Him because of our sin. But in Romans 8.1 it says that there is now, because of everything Paul has been explaining, the Gospel, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is to be declared. 
This is when God says, you have no condemnation. I declare you righteous. When a person comes to know Christ, when they put their trust in Jesus, God Himself now, God, the ruler of the universe, looks at you, looks at me, and says, I declare, it is by proclamation now. This is a legal term. I declare you righteous. You are now justified. Now, justified a lot of times in our English, that means like, it kind of means, well, it makes sense that I was speeding. My speeding is justified because that guy in front of me is going really slow and I got to get to work on time. So I'm justified. That's not what this word means at all. That's not what this word means at all. This word, it means to legally be declared righteous. It is if there's a throne, a, a courtroom of God. And it is if God is there as the judge. And you are brought forward. And the accuser comes and says, he did this, she did that, they did this. And accuses you and I of everything we've ever done wrong, every thought we've ever had, everything we've ever done. And it's all laid right there. And now the judge stands up. Doesn't deny the charge. Doesn't say the accusation is false. No. Says, those crimes have already been punished. Jesus died for that. There is no punishment for that crime. There is no condemnation for this man. He is justified. This is what God has done. It allows us now to come to Him. This is what the Father has done. Go down now to verse number 11. Let me show you another one. Let me show you another one. Verse number 11. I told you man has two problems. One is he stands guilty before a a righteous God. The second problem is you and I have a bent to sin. We have a bent to sin. Look at verse number 11. It says, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Now I ask you, whose Spirit raised Jesus from the dead? Correct, God. God's Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. Okay, so let's read it again. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead would also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. See, the other great truth about our Father that allows us to run to Him, knowing He'll come meet us, and allows us to approach Him boldly, crying out, Abba, Father. We are justified before Him. But what this passage is teaching us is we are what's called regenerated. Regeneration. You see, here's what this means. We were dead in our sins. And so the only hope we have The only hope of a dead person living is that they be born again. So that's what God did. He placed His Spirit in us, which took a dead man named Lowell when he was 15. And His Spirit came inside of me and regenerated me. You know, those shock things on the chest? 
And now the person goes back to life. But not just back to life. Not back to dead life. Now raised to new life. Both of man's problems. Well, two that I happen to pick today. But both of those problems addressed. Stand before the Lord guilty. Have a spirit that is bent towards sin. God has justified. God has regenerated. This is what the Lord has done. I hope in you today. But there's one more I want to look at. This one you'll find in verse number 15. Look at it with me. Verse number 15. Chapter 8. Says this. Remember that spirit we just received? Okay, remember that. Remember verse 11. We got this spirit now that dwells in us. Okay. Verse number 15. For you did not receive the spirit of, of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. And it'd be very fitting here to say, and daughters. The word here allows both, yes. We have been received the spirit now of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may also be glorified with Him. What I want to take the next couple minutes and look at on this Father's Day is what does this adoption for us mean? We, we, we looked at justified, that God now has declared us righteous. We briefly looked at regeneration. God has placed a new spirit in now to make us alive. But now what He does, and this is, this is a, even maybe more amazing truth, this is maybe another level. They all happen at once. Okay? They all happen instantaneously. When you came to Christ, boom, you're justified. Boom, you're regenerated. And boom, you are adopted. And it is an adoption that can never go away. When you came to Christ, you are made an heir with Christ. When does an heir collect? At the end is when the heir collects. This adoption doesn't wear off. This is not a father that decides he doesn't like his son and gets rid of him. That's not what this is. That's not the God that we know. We are adopted in Christ. Let's just look at it briefly here of what the Lord says this means to us. First of all, we need to see that as our adoptive father, as our adoptive father, he's a giving father. I told you I want us to look at our God, right? Look at our father. He's a giving Father. Quite honestly, it's the very essence of what a Father is. I remember one time being with uh, my sister and brother-in-law. I hope, maybe they're listening to this. We were out at a restaurant, and Keith is his name. And it was one of those times where everything was going wrong in the meal. 
at a restaurant. You know, I mean, they bring the wrong food, they bring the wrong drink, it's cold, it's old, it's, you know, moldy, all, it's just bad, okay? Just bad. And I remember my brother-in-law, Keith, it's like every time they bring, like, you know, a, 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 the wrong drink, he would say, I'll, I'll just take that one. And then they would, you know, the, the food that they brought for, the, for one of his sons was wrong, okay? I'll, I'll take that. When they brought out dessert, you know, they're one short. So what did he do? He said, that's all right, I don't need one. Over and over and over. I wasn't even a father then. I was a young married man, had no kids. And I remember my sister, she stopped for just a minute, and she said, Keith, you're always being a father. And he just kind of shook his head. Didn't excuse it. Didn't say, give me the dessert. Didn't say, give me all the drinks. You're right, I deserve better. Didn't do that. Didn't rule the throne. What did he do? He gave. He gave. As God's Spirit was working in him as a man in his home, he gave. He gave. And he gave. You see, let me give you a little hint about our God. The things that we can see that are true of Him, the things that we can see that we can understand that He's revealed about Himself, He wants to be true in us. God is giving. God is gracious. God is merciful. So His Spirit produces that in us. God is holy. God is righteous. God does what is in line with His character. He does that in us. God is a giving God. And it says here, He gave us, I mean, imagine this. He didn't just give us like a house or a, or a car or, you know, children or a spouse. He didn't give you those measly little things. Those things don't mean much at all in the great eternal plan of God. Your house or your car or your spouse or your kids, in comparison to what God gives us, means nothing. They're, they're infinitely small compared to what God has already given you. I don't care whether you're single, childless, homeless, carless, workless. I don't care. God has already given you something that's beyond any economic value. See what it is. See what it is here. He has given us His Spirit. And we all equally have that. It's the only thing on this world that we all equally can ever have. You know that. It's the only way you ever slay envy in your life is to see the value of what God has given you. Hear Jesus explain it. I I want you to turn. Go go now with me to Luke. Uh, Let's see. Chapter, I got it written down, 11. Luke 11. Go with me there. See Jesus say the same thing. Luke 11. See what the Father has given every one of us who are in Him. Luke 11. Verse number 11. Luke 11, 11 says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Who would do that? Jesus is saying. Who in the right mind, if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? And if that doesn't make sense, he says, or if he asks for an egg, who would give him a scorpion? If then you who are evil Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the Heavenly Father give not fish, 
not eggs. You see that? Not fish, not eggs. What will He give His children? He will give them the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. If you are adopted in Christ today, if you are justified, if you are regenerated, if He has said, you are My Son, He has given you as the great giver, He has given you the greatest gift that He could ever give. He has given you His Spirit. If you wrestle with that, if you allow that to seep down in, your worship of God, your understanding of His love, will go beyond what you've ever experienced to realize what God has given Go back to Romans chapter 8 now. Go back to Romans 8. I got, a, I got a, a quote from a book called Father Hunger. While you go there, I wanted to read this to you. Father Hunger. Speaking of God, the author says this. He is generous with everything. Is there ever anything He has that He holds back? So what should we tangible fathers be like? The question is terribly hard to answer. But not because it's difficult to understand. Hmm. I told I, I wasn't going to hit you too hard, fellas, but guys, we see what God is like. If God has blessed you with children, you'd be like Him. It's it's not difficult because we don't understand it. It's difficult because it's hard to live. Okay, go back to Romans 8 though. Go back to Romans 8. I want to look at verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now, the last time in history that this expression was recorded is in the Gospels. And who said it? You, we read it earlier. Who was it? This is the one time where, yes, it is definitely the right answer. Ready? Jesus! Good, good. That's right. That's right. Jesus said it. And when did He say it? At potentially the most difficult, the most challenging moment of His earthly existence that night in Gethsemane, when he, when he literally sweat drops of blood, and he cried out, Abba, Father. And now the Spirit of God is directing Paul to reach back in our minds and grab that and say that if you have been adopted in Christ, you now, your spirit now cries out, Abba, Father. What is the Spirit of God connecting together in our brains? That when those difficult times come, we have a comforting Father. We have a Father who comforts us. And He comforts us with His very presence. With His very presence. It is the Spirit of God in us that allows us to cry out, Father, be with me, Father. I don't know about you, but I can think of a handful of times when I was so desperate 
be it from physical pain or emotional heartache, that I've been so stretched to my limit where all I could pray, all I could pray is God, Jesus, I need You. That's what this prayer is. That's what this prayer is. Some of us have been in church for so long. We've been around this kind of talk for so long that the value of this, the nature of this allowance, we lose it. We lose the grasp of what it means. That you, if you are in Christ today, have the kind of relationship with the Creator. I mean, do we really believe this stuff? Do you really believe what I'm trying to say? That the one who spoke and all of this was here says, I will be a father to you and you will be my child? It's great love. Lastly, verse number 16. The Spirit Himself now. Now this is all, this is all because of the, the thing that happened when you truly put your trust in Christ. Truly put your trust in Christ. Instantly justified before the Lord. Declared righteous. Instantly regenerated. You say, well I was born this way. I was born as a sinner. I was born with this inclination towards the sin. Yeah, you were. And that's why you need to be born again. You were born again with a new nature. A new nature you have now. And God adopts you now as His child. He brings you as His child, as His son and His daughter. He grants you. He gives you His Spirit. He gives you His presence. And I want you to see verse 16 and 17 that He grants you assurance. We call this assurance. Let's read the two verses. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If this stuff is real, if you believe what the Bible says, that should blow your mind. Co-heirs or fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Just this this week, I was at the gym. And I've got a lot of friends that work out there and some of them are believers. And this man walks up to me and we talk about the Lord a little bit. And he calls me over to this other guy that's there working out. And it's clear they've been having a conversation for years. They've been having a conversation for years. An older gentleman. And the thing he struggled with, he said to me, he said, well, pastor, now he knows I'm a pastor, okay? And he says, pastor, how can I know this? How can I know that when I die, I'll go to heaven? How can I know 
Now, it was clear to me that he had heard the gospel, he understood the gospel, he was, he, the gospel had been explained to him. And as I listened to him and kind of discerned what he was saying, I pointed him to that verse. That very verse we just read. God testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. John said it this way in verse number 13 of chapter 5. You might, if you struggle with, do I, do I have assurance? How do I know that I am in Christ? Can I know? Can I know? You should write down 1 John 5.13 and you should memorize it. I did. You know why? Because I wanted assurance years ago. Here's what John wrote. I write you these things. John, who's writing the book of 1 John. I write you these things that you may know that you have eternal life. You see, this is another one of the great truths of adoption. One of the great truths of adoption. God doesn't just adopt us and then send us down the road. Live life your own way. That's not the way it works. When you were adopted into Christ, we've said this many times, God's Spirit came and lived in you. And He is there assuring you that you are His. Assuring you that you are His. You say, well, how does He do that? How does He do it? Is it, you know, is it magical? Is it zap? Is it bzzz? What is it? No. I'll tell you what it is. As you respond to the Word of God... John said, I write you these things that you may know that you have eternal life. As you respond to the Word of God, as you respond to His Lordship in your life, as God brings things to your heart, maybe today, and you say, yes. Yes, Lord. With Your power, I'm going to do that. As You enable me, I'm going to respond. When you obey Him that way, when you respond to God's leading in that way, when the Spirit of God prompts you and you obey to action, assurance will come your way. God's Spirit will come and say, see, you're my child. You're my child. That's why Hebrews 12, you can look at it, verse 10, it says that God disciplines those He loves. God disciplines those He loves. And the writer says, what kind of father doesn't discipline his child? Only, only the, the, the father doesn't care about his child. It's not really his child, so he doesn't discipline them. But God disciplines us because he loves us. So when we respond to that leadership, we respond to the Spirit of God in us, God's Spirit says, yes, you're mine. Yes, you're my child. You see your heart is regenerated. You see? You want to do right because you've been born anew. You're a new creature. Your life's showing it. Look at the lovely fruit in your life. Look at the fruit in your life. You're a brand new tree. You're not that old dead dread tree that, that doesn't produce fruit. You're a brand new tree. You've been reborn and remade. Look. You're God's. This is our Father. Verse 17, the end. Provided 
provided. We suffer with Him. In order that we may also be glorified with Him. Now let me me explain to you what, what I believe that means. Let me start with what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that in order for you to experience this adoption, that you need to go find some, you know, ISIS group or, you know, rough group of bikers or something and, and preach Jesus to them until they beat you up and then you're suffering and so now I'm adopted. That's not what this means. So it, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that you need to go find somebody to, to persecute you so then you feel adopted. No. Do you know when I suffered with Christ? I suffered with Him. I did. It's when He justified me. It's, it's how He regenerated me. You see, when Christ died on that cross, I died with Him. I died with Him. When you were baptized, maybe, you, maybe you've been baptized sometime in your life. I hope you have. God's called you to do that. Buried in the likeness of His death. Raised to newness of life. Provided that Jesus' death counts as yours. Provided that your sin hung there on that cross with Christ. Provided that you have suffered with Him, and so therefore you will be glorified with Him as well. You see where we're landing? Romans 8 is a wonderful, wonderful chapter. It starts and ends at the same place. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, provided that you're in Christ Jesus. I trust you are today. I look around, I believe most of you are. But I don't want to be stupid. Maybe today there's somebody here that does need to suffer on the cross of Christ and let His sin count as yours. You cry out to God from your heart. Let Him know you're a sinner. Let Him know you believe in what He has done and you call out to Him to save you. You make that decision and you're that boy coming home and his father running down the street to find him. And there is, there is joyous celebration in heaven because one person responded to the gospel. But maybe you made that decision long ago. Let these truths inform you. Let them inform you so you can worship our great God on this Father's Day and think about all He has done in our lives. Let's pray together. Father in Heaven, Lord, I thank You for Your truth. Lord, that in You we are justified, declared righteous. God, that You have regenerated us. We are brand new creatures. The old, gone. Behold, we are a new creature. And Lord, that You have accepted us Greater than that, You have given us sonship, Lord. You have given us the right to be called children of God. You have adopted us into Your family. And we thank You for that, Lord. We praise You for that. We worship You for Your grace. 
And we cry out to you as our Father. It's in your name we pray. Amen.